Good morning. So, we continue on in Daniel. We now have a new king, Belshazzar. Nebuchadnezzar's gone. And we have a new vision, and Daniel again called him. And we carry on from verse 18 in chapter 5. Your Majesty, the Most High God gave your father, Nebuchadnezzar, sovereignty and greatness and glory and splendor. Because of the high position he gave him, all the nations and peoples of every language dreaded and feared him. Those the king wanted to put to death, he put to death. Those he wanted to spare, he spared. Those he wanted to promote, he promoted. And those he wanted to humble, he humbled. But when his heart became arrogant and hardened with pride, he was deposed from his royal throne and stripped of his glory. He was driven away from people and given the mind of an animal. He lived with the wild donkeys and ate grass like the ox. And his body was drenched with the dew of heaven until he acknowledged that the Most High God is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and sets over them anyone he wishes. But you, Belshazzar, his son, have not humbled yourself, though you knew all this. Instead, you have set yourself up against the Lord of heaven. You had the goblets from his temple brought to you, and you and your nobles, your wives and your concubines, drank wine from them. You praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which cannot see, nor hear, nor understand. But you did not honour the God who holds in his hand your life and all your ways. Well, good morning, everyone. It is great to be here this morning sharing with God's Word uh, with you. It's a great joy and privilege to be here. But this privilege could easily be something to take great pride in, that I've been considered worthy to open God's Word with you. See, pride is such a dangerous vice, and it appears in so many settings. We can all be tempted to pride in different areas, as we point people to notice and appreciate the little kingdoms that we've set up for ourselves, whether that be the cleanliness of our house or the achievements of our children, the legacy we've left in our workplace, even the success of our ministries. We can all be tempted to take pride in our own accomplishments, in the things that we have done. Some of these things might seem relatively minor, but the great danger of pride is that as we become more and more full of ourselves, we leave no room for God. As we come to God's word for us this morning in Daniel 4 and 5, we'll look at a message from the king and a message for the king, both of which centre on this theme of pride against God. In these passages, we'll be reminded of the danger of pride as we consider the God who is able to humble those who walk in pride while also remembering the God who restores all those who come to trust him. But let me pray as we begin this morning. Heavenly Father, thanks that we can gather to hear from your word for us. Help me to speak clearly and truly for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, have you ever been watching TV when suddenly you see this appear on the screen? Maybe not. There we go. Um, I'm not sure I've ever actually seen that happen, but I think we all know the picture, don't we? 
It's intended to grab our attention. So we're ready to see what it is that's so important that it's interrupted our downtime. There's an important message coming up. And that's what we find as we begin Daniel chapter 4. Thanks, Rose, for reading that. We have a special announcement, a message from the king. Uh, this chapter is unusual in the Bible. It's written primarily by a foreign king, by someone outside God's chosen nation of Israel. For the majority of this chapter, King Nebuchadnezzar himself addresses all who will hear him. From verse 1, King Nebuchadnezzar, to the nations and peoples of every language who live in all the earth. That's a significant audience for what must be a significant address. So what is it that he has to say? Verse 2, it is my pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs and wonders that the Most High God has performed for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. This is great praise, especially from a man of such great position. And this great praise continues as we get to the end of the chapter, where in verse 34, Nebuchadnezzar picks up the same things, saying, His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. Again, how incredible does this sound coming from the lips of the world's most powerful man, at least from a worldly perspective, that he sees himself with all the glory, honour and splendour of the king of Babylon as nothing before the Most High God. It's wonderful humility, isn't it? A humility that we all need before the Most High God. But haven't we been here before with Nebuchadnezzar? If you've been here with us the last couple of weeks, you'll know that this king doesn't have the best track record. In each of the previous chapters of Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar has seen God do something amazing, has even said some nice things about God, but then returns to his old ways. So is this proclamation in chapter 4 just another fleeting mood of a notably erratic king? In short, no. Nebuchadnezzar really has come to trust the Lord Most High at this point. If we look back through the previous chapters, we've seen Nebuchadnezzar slowly grow to come to trust in God Most High. Previously, Nebuchadnezzar had admired Daniel's God as God of gods and Lord of lords, and he'd made orders that no one talk badly about the God of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. But now, in chapter 4, it's personal as Nebuchadnezzar tells of the signs and wonders that the Most High has performed for me. Finally, he gets it. He's come to truly trust God for himself. And I love God's patience through this long period of time. I find it a great reminder of two things. First of all, that God is patient with me. Sometimes I feel just like Nebuchadnezzar, that I'm slow to understand things as I should, and even when I do understand them, I still can't stop myself from making dumb decisions and continuing in my old sinful ways. But God is patient, so I can trust that God will complete the work that he's begun in me. As well as that, being reminded of God's patience assures me of God's patience with the other people in my life that I seek to share Jesus with. 
whether it's kids at scripture or people I seek to disciple, or my dad who resists any effort to talk about Jesus. It can be really hard when our efforts for God don't seem to be effective. And I imagine that's just how Daniel felt through his many years serving King Nebuchadnezzar. Yet, God continued to work then, and he continues to work now. If you're here, and you're not yet sure if you're 100% committed to God, I hope this is an encouragement for you too, to keep seeking to understand the God who will continue to work to bring you to fully and truly trust him for salvation and recognise Jesus as Lord. It is so great that eventually Nebuchadnezzar came to personally trust God. So how did this huge change happen? Well, like most things, Daniel, it all started with a dream. Verse 5, Nebuchadnezzar says, I had a dream that made me afraid. As I was lying in my bed, the visions that passed through my mind terrified me. And what is this Deeply terrifying dream. Verse 10. These are the visions I saw while lying in bed. I looked, and there before me stood a tree in the middle of the land. Doesn't seem like the worst nightmare ever, does it? A big, strong, beautiful tree, visible to the ends of the earth, with abundant fruit that gives, and it gives shelter to the animals and birds, and provides food for them all. Seems more like a pleasant dream at this point. But then Nebuchadnezzar describes a messenger from heaven coming to cut down this tree, to strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Now, while the famous hanging gardens of Babylon suggest that Nebuchadnezzar may have been a bit of a green thumb, it's more than just his love for nature that makes him terrified of this dream. In verse 15, this tree becomes personified and is banned to live with the animals, to be drenched by the dew and to have the mind like one of the animals. And as Nebuchadnezzar recounts his dream, Daniel too becomes terrified. He says in verse 19, My Lord, if only the dream applied to your enemies, and its meaning to your adversaries. Daniel then goes on to interpret the dream, telling the king that he is the enormous, beautiful, strong tree, that his kingdom has grown and provided for all, but also that he's going to be cut down and destroyed. In verse 25, he says, You will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox and be drenched with the dew of heaven. And as Daniel speaks to Nebuchadnezzar, it's clear that there's no malice in his voice. No sense that Nebuchadnezzar is getting what he deserves for throwing his friends into the fire for threatening to kill anyone who opposes his changing wings. Daniel weeps for Nebuchadnezzar, as Jesus weeps for Jerusalem, as we must weep for the world around us that doesn't trust our Saviour Jesus. So, in bold, honest, genuine words, Daniel calls the king to repent. Verse 27, Therefore, your majesty, be pleased to accept my advice. Renounce your sins by doing what is right, and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. It may be that then your prosperity will continue. What a great example Daniel is for us, as one who graciously, lovingly calls this powerful king to repent. May we be people 
who graciously, lovingly call those around us to repent and trust in God too. At this point, our passage jumps forward 12 months and we revert back to Daniel's perspective as we hear a report of the events of this, this dream coming to pass. In verse 29, we see the true nature of this proud king as he walks on the roof of his palace and his pride overflows and he declares, Is not this the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? Look at all the I and my type language here. Here we have a self-made man reflecting on his great efforts and all that he has accomplished in building his kingdom. But even as these words are on his lips, a voice comes from heaven reminding him of the dream of the great tree and preparing him to be cut down where he stands. Verse 33. Immediately what had been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away from people and ate grass like the ox. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair grew like the feathers of an eagle and his nails like the claws of a bird. It's a graphic description of the utter humiliation of this once powerful king. But what's the point of this humiliation? Is God just being a vengeful bully and making Nebuchadnezzar suffer to show God's own power and strength? Well, not at all. God acts out of love for Nebuchadnezzar and for people beyond. There's a clear purpose given a few times through this chapter, as well as once in chapter 5, which we'll get to later. But in verse 17, 25 and 32, we see that these things happen, so you will know that the Most High is sovereign over all the kingdoms of the earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. God has acted so that all people, including Nebuchadnezzar, would recognise who he is, would see his sovereign power and come to trust, honour and praise him. It is God who sets up his plans, and nothing we set up can stand against him, not even the powerful king of Babylon the Great. And God, in his love, calls us to trust in him rather than in anything we have set up for ourselves. Thankfully, after God dramatically humbled King Nebuchadnezzar, he did come to trust, honour and praise God, the King of Heaven. And as he does so, his own honour and glory are restored. Verse 36. At the same time that my sanity was restored, my honour and splendour were returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. My advisers and nobles sought me out, and I was restored to my throne and became even greater than before. Once more, Nebuchadnezzar uses lots of this me and my type language here. But this time, he goes on in verse 37. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the King of Heaven, because everything he does is right, and all his ways are just, and those who walk in pride he is able to humble. Even though Nebuchadnezzar still has worldly reason for pride and confidence in his own kingdom, even more so than before his humiliation, now he recognises God as the king over all and humbly bows before him. How are we going at keeping our proud hearts in check? Are we trusting in our own efforts and successes and status and wealth rather than trusting in God 
Do we begin each day asking for God's gracious helping hand? Or do we trust our own strength to get us through what the day ahead holds? For many around the world, these last few years have shown the fleeting nature of much of what we so often put our hope in. Whether that be seeing our own health or wealth as measures of our security and confidence. Many of these have been shown unworthy of our trust. And as trying as these times have been, I hope that, like Nebuchadnezzar, we have learned to come to trust the Most High God rather than any of our own little kingdoms. The message from the King is that God is able to humble those who walk in pride, so humbly trust Him rather than the kingdoms that we have set up. This was the lesson that King Nebuchadnezzar learned as he was humbled before the all-powerful God. He may have learned it the hard way, but at least he learned it in time. Because as we see in chapter 5, not everyone learned from Nebuchadnezzar's mistakes. Where chapter 4 gave us a message from the king, as we get to chapter 5, we have a message for the king. But now there's a new king on the throne in Babylon. A long time has passed since the events of chapter 4. Nebuchadnezzar's now been dead for over 20 years. And it's about 70 years since Daniel and the other exiles were deported to Babylon as captives of war. Daniel's now an old man in his 80s, and he stands in vast contrast to the young king Belshazzar, who, like his forebear Nebuchadnezzar, has a deeply rooted pride problem. The chapter begins with Belshazzar throwing a huge party. Let me read the first few verses. King Belshazzar gave a great banquet for a thousand of his nobles and drank wine with them. While Belshazzar was drinking his wine, he gave orders to bring in the gold and silver goblets that Nebuchadnezzar his father had taken from the temple in Jerusalem, so that the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines, might drink from them. So they brought in the gold goblets that had been taken from the temple of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines, drank from them. As they drank wine, they praised the gods of gold and silver, of bronze, iron, wood and stone. It's a sad picture of a defiant, clueless king. In his defence, Belshazzar had been given a difficult job. He became king of Babylon as the once mighty empire was on its last legs. The latest Near Eastern superpower, the Medo-Persians, were on the rise and threatening to overthrow Babylon, as Babylon had overthrown so many before it. Yet, despite knowing that Babylon was in trouble, this young king decided to proudly show off the temple goblets of the defeated God of Israel and use them to throw one last sacrilegious party rather than humbly ask for help from the God that Nebuchadnezzar came to recognise as the God who deposes kings and raises up others. And then in verse 5 we read, Suddenly the fingers of the human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall. Here is our message for the king. But like has happened many times before, neither the Babylonian king nor the Babylonian wise men can interpret this message. And in a moment of supreme embarrassment for this young king in front of his party guests, the queen comes in, breaks up the party, and reminds Belshazzar of an old exile from Judah, Daniel, who has wisdom like that of the gods, and has been able to solve problems for the previous king. Daniel's brought in, 
and before the new king. And though he refuses the king's worthless gifts, he does tell him what the writing means. But not before a quick history lesson for King Belshazzar. He reminds King Belshazzar of the events we've just heard about from chapter 4, showing how the powerful King Nebuchadnezzar became arrogant and proud, how he was humbled and eventually came to trust God. These events that happened to Nebuchadnezzar would have served as a warning to Belshazzar so that he would avoid pride. So he too would stand humbly before the God who sets up kings and deposes others. But instead, as Daniel says in verse 22, you, Belshazzar, his son, have not humbled yourself, though you knew all this. Instead, you have set yourself up against the Lord of heaven. Belshazzar had been given his warning in the events of Nebuchadnezzar's life, yet he didn't change his prideful ways. And so this message isn't actually given as a warning, but as a promise of judgment. For Belshazzar, the writing was on the wall, and as we read, we see these four words written on the wall that tell of Belshazzar's coming end. Mene, mene, tekel pasta. These words show that Belshazzar's days have been numbered, that he's been weighed and found wanting, and that his kingdom will be divided. All that the great Babylon has become over so many years, all that Belshazzar has been so proud of, is about to come to an end. His days are numbered, and he's been found wanting. So just a few verses later, we read in verse 30, that very night, Belshazzar, king of the Babylonians, was slain, and Darius the Mede took over the kingdom at the age of 62. Everything Belshazzar had to be proud of, all his status, wealth, relationships, were taken away that very night. All these places where he had put his trust were of no ultimate security at all. Because he had not humbled himself, he was judged. The message for King Belshazzar is a frightening message, isn't it? And there's a similar message for each one of us. Whether we're taking pride in our career achievements or seeking security from the possessions that we've accumulated or finding our value in anything except for the one God who changes times and seasons, whose kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. All the things that we build for ourselves will count for nothing in the end if we're standing on our own efforts rather than the effort of Jesus on our behalf. See, the message for the king is the message for each of us today too. If we walk in pride before God, we will be judged. So what should this humility look like for us? I think it will look like admitting our sin and our need for God's forgiveness. It will look like asking for God's help for all we have to face. It will look like trusting God's word and God's plans for us, even when they don't match our opinion. But if you're like me, you don't always do this, do you? Like Belshazzar, we too are weighed and found wanting. See, Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar are not unusual in their pride. We all seek to build our own confidence and security in the kingdoms that we build for ourselves. We have all stood tall in our pride and fallen short of God's perfect standard. We've all trusted on our own little kingdom rather than in the sovereign God of heaven. And yet, 
because of God's mercy to us in his son, we are not like Belshazzar, whose kingdom was divided. Rather, we are offered entrance into God's kingdom through faith in his son. As Jesus walked the earth, he declared that the kingdom of God has come near, and he lovingly called all people to repent and believe the good news. Jesus went on all the way to the cross for us, and his death for our sins allows all who trust in him, even those who had previously stood proud against God, to be forgiven, to gain entrance into his eternal kingdom. So have you humbled yourself and trusted the true king? This morning we've heard a message from the king, a king who had been humbled and urges all people to recognise their place before the Most High God, who wants us to humbly trust him. We've seen a message for the new king, and seen that the writing is on the wall for all those who fail to humble themselves before this holy God. But thankfully, we know the message of the true king, who humbled himself to death on a cross for us, so that though we ourselves are weighed and found wanting, our penalty has been paid, and through faith in this true king, we're given a portion in his eternal kingdom. What great news that is. So let's thank God for his incredible mercy to us and continue in humility before the Lord Most High. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you are the God who sets up kings and deposes others, that your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. We're sorry that we take pride in our own little kingdoms rather than humbly honouring you. Thanks for your patience with us, for your grace to us, that in your Son we are measured and considered perfect and can share in your eternal kingdom. In Jesus' name, Amen. Father, that through the death of your Son Jesus, we can freely approach your throne of grace and bring our prayers and supplications before you. Hear our prayers today and answer according to your will and infinite grace mercy, that we may have peace in our hearts knowing that in all things God works for the good of all those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. Amen. Thank you, Jean, for those beautiful prayers. And Murray, thank you so much for sharing with us from God's word and the message you've given us to remember that God is able to humble those who walk in Christ. I'm always fascinated at how the Old Testament connects with the New Testament. And today you said that Daniel wept for the king. Jesus wept for his people. As we are to weep for those who do not know him. That's a challenge to me. Thank you. Next week, Murray will share us again. And he will t- um, give us a sermon entitled, The God Who Saves. And I'm sure that we will be blessed again as he encourages us from God's word. Unfortunately, this morning we're not able to share in morning tea together. But may I encourage you as you're walking out to your car to come alongside somebody and say hello and to share with them just what the the sermon brought to you this morning. Please take time to say hello to someone that you don't know. And may I also encourage you to continue sharing God's love with all with whom you come in contact with over the week, taking the opportunities that are presented to us by our God to do so. Let's be active. 
and sharing God's love together with our community. Would you join with me in saying the grace together, the words that have come to me. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit renew us all evermore. Amen. Have a good day and God bless you.